please be seated. The text for the uh, sermon is taken from the epistle. Hereby know we that we dwell in him and he in us, because he hath given us the Spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. We have seen and do testify. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. Sermons are preached for various reasons, some to comfort, some to encourage, uh, sometimes uh, to inspire, uh, and hopefully occasionally to delight, uh, and then uh, sometimes didactic. This is a didactic sermon, okay, which means it's a, di- it's a sermon on, it's, I'm going to teach you some things this morning. Uh, I, it's, as time goes on, we will explore more and more deification and participation uh, throughout the year and hopefully appropriate uh, uh, th- those realities uh, in our life. By appropriation, I mean our intentional, intelligent, responsible taking hold of those realities that God has given us. Taking is, by the way, the personal act by, uh, uh, that, that actualizes God's reality, which is the only reality there is, but it, it's the act that actualizes God's reality in your life, in your family's life, in the life of, of your church, and in the life of the world. All of the sacraments either outright direct you to take, I mean, that's the word that's used, to take, or they presuppose you're taking. The body of our Lord Jesus Christ given for thee. Take and eat. Uh, I take thee for my wedded wife. The only sacrament that does not presuppose you're taking is holy baptism because that's the sacrament by which you are infused with the virtues that enable you to take the other sacraments. That's why it's unrepeatable. That's why it's the, the first of all uh, sacraments. Uh, so our study, uh, this study, and something to keep in mind as time goes on, is that you are called uh, also to take and eat the Word of God written. And that's what I want to focus on uh, today, the Word of God written. For the next 23, exactly, who said that? That was right. Good. Uh, For the next 25 Sundays, uh, and that would be till Advent, 12 of the Gospel lessons are taken from Luke. 12, 13 remaining, 9 from uh, Matthew, 2 from Mark, and Two from John. Uh, Seven of the gospel lessons from Luke are parables, uh, while others are illustrative stories or sayings or some narrative of a historical event. Uh, But there's a unity between the gospels and the epistles. There's a unity uh, in these texts because they all revolve around the central figure of Jesus Christ. He's either presenting a teaching uh, to his audience Uh, as on the Sermon on the Mount or or on the plain, or he himself is the protagonist in an eyewitness recollection of something, as in feeding the 5,000. What I want you to see is the New Testament uh, this morning. Uh, I want you to see its unity, its place in our community, the community of the church, and I want to say also just something... uh, in passing about the doctrine of inspiration, inspiration of Holy Scripture. Uh, and through the grace of God and His provisions, 
of participation. Uh, our individual uh, life stories are going to be taken up into and already have been taken up into the life story of Jesus Christ, which is the New Testament. Uh, as you know, the Gospel of Luke uh, is one of four Gospels and one of 27 books in the New Testament. As we read, mark, learn, and endlessly digest the various accounts of Jesus' life and teaching in the Gospels, it is obvious that the evangelists who wrote the Gospels had some process by which they selected material for their text that would bear their name. Are you all with me? You are? Okay. Good. Thank you, sir. In some cases, the, uh, the gospel, the evangelists recount, recount uh, the same event, while in other cases, an evangelist included narratives, parables, and sermons Jesus preached that other evangelists excluded uh, from their text. They excluded them either because they did not fit their design, the shape that they were aiming for uh, in their gospel, or possibly because they just didn't know about them. Uh, th that's also there. For example, the story before us today uh, of the rich man and Lazarus is only in Luke's uh, gospel. The same is the case for the prodigal son. They show up nowhere else. There's not even an allusion to them in any other the, of the other uh, gospels. Those stories are important for Luke's purpose in composing his gospel. It would be silly for me or anyone else to fault Mark or Matthew or John for not including the same stories in their Gospels. Do you see what I'm saying? Are you with me on this? They have a reason for constructing what they're constructing and they have a reason for selecting what they're selecting. Each text has meaning and together all 27 books of the New Testament make a whole, a whole made up of many members just as the body is one and has many members and all are members of one body. And so the New Testament is a body of work in a manner with many members. Today, we still, as we, as in the past, may refer to a writer's corpus or body of work, meaning the collection of that person's text. And we naturally expect uh, a writer's body of work, listen to what I'm saying, to be identifiable as his. Uh, identifiable by such marks as style, content, and interest, just to name three. Uh, that holds true for the New Testament as well. And for each of the letters of the New Testament and each of the Gospels, you'll see a writer, a personality uh, in these texts. You'll see two personalities, one being the writer and the other one being the third person of the Blessed Trinity, the Holy Spirit, who is, don't forget, also the author. Think of the New Testament as a library, uh, a library that belongs to the church, whose whole purpose is to reveal the life story of Jesus Christ. That's it. That's its purpose. To view the New Testament that way, is not to view it as a random collection of books. Uh, it's not even to view it as a book dedicated just to one subject, like you might find a library dedicated to whaling in America. Because the New Testament, why is this true? 
because the New Testament is a library dedicated and devoted to the life story of Jesus Christ, it is a library dedicated to God's life story. And that's what separates it from everything else. Are y'all with me? No objections. I'll keep on going. And it's interesting. You, you, most of you do Bible studies. You've done Bible studies for a long time in, uh, in, in your life. Uh, even though this is a library dedicated to God's life story and his breaking into this world, I cannot read it without thinking about my own life. I'm forced, uh, as it were, compelled to think about my life and the meaning of my life and somehow that my life has ultimate significance because it gets included into God's story, God's life story. And somehow, and I, you know this, that as I read the text uh, of the New Testament, they're reading me in a manner of speaking. They have to. I'm compelled to square my life with the text. One feels deeply then that nothing is more important than rightly interpreting this book. And frequently, uh, or at least occasionally, as we are studying and reading text in devotions and morning prayer, evening prayer, is a special study. Uh, we have a slightly uncomfortable feeling, a sense sometimes of even being pursued by God. Now, you know, I know this is not so much the case with people my age. Uh, it's not just people my age. It's not so much the case the older you've been a Christian. But if you're able to think about, think back to your conversion, then you see and you know that in your conversion experience has had with it this sense of God calling you, of God pursuing you personally. So... It's as though the text, rather than just passively waiting to be interpreted, they begin to interpret me and you as you read them. Individually as parishioners, collectively as parents or children, as citizens, as parishioners. And in, in this manner, we're called to live up to that text. So I say that, we say that occasionally, live up to the text. That's what I'm talking about. We're called to live up to the text of the New Testament. Now, let me say something about what was before the New Testament. Because the New Testament hasn't always been around, and the New Testament did not, when Jesus ascended, the New Testament did not just come down from heaven wrapped in the King James Version of the Bible. I wish it had, but it didn't. What 
about the church before the New Testament? Well, let me say this. The church before the New Testament was already busy being the church, already busy with her mission, already the custodian of God's truth and the reality in Jesus Christ. And as the church was already equipped, already equipped to bring the world to Jesus Christ and to guide her children into God's perfect will for their life before the New Testament. Before the New Testament. Now what came then before the narrative? Two things, two things I want to point out, obviously, and we saw it in the text today. We're eyewitnesses, he says, we're eyewitnesses uh, that God has come into this world, has sent his son into this world, to save us. The first thing is the incarnation of the word of the Father, Jesus Christ, coming before the narratives. As we already know, the New Testament is all about the life of Jesus and the Son of the Father. When we experience, and here's the thing, I think about this, I want you to see this, that when we experience the love of God, the power of God, and, and the life of God in the New Testament and in the sacraments, it is the power and the life and the love of Jesus Christ that we're experiencing is the very same power, life, and love that the first generation church in Jerusalem experienced. I want you to understand that. Uh, we're not something new from that. Secondly, first is the incarnation. Secondly, is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit... Uh, came 10 days after our Lord's ascension, was sent by the Father. Uh, even before the first epistle or gospel uh, was written uh, to the first troubled parish, because you know what? That's why these texts were written for the most part. Uh, Paul's uh, almost entirely written to parishes that were in trouble, parishes that were falling apart, parishes that were confused. And so St. Paul wrote texts. large part of the New Testament is made up of Corrective, uh, corrective text. The Holy Spirit uh, uh, came uh, after our Lord's ascension. And the Holy Communion was already being celebrated because the Holy Spirit was present to make it real. Every day of the week, read it, it's in the book of Acts, every day of the week, uh, and Holy Mother Church was already bestowing all of the sacraments upon her chil children in Jerusalem's first generation, and they are the very same sacraments that are bestowed today. And in the fullness of time, the Holy Spirit inspired the apostles. He refreshed their memories. And then without, and now this is a doctor of inspiration. Listen to what I'm saying to you. I want you to understand this. He refreshed their memories. He said he would. Jesus said that the Holy Spirit would do that. And then without doing violence to the writer, without turning the evangelists into stenographers, the Holy Spirit moved proveniently upon these eyewitnesses so that the composed text of their letters and the New Testament were authentically, authentically the word of the apostle, and at the same time, the, authentically the very word of God. That is our position. Uh, that is a Catholic position on inspiration. Uh, the Holy Spirit doesn't do violence to the individual. 
in Islam, uh, holy, uh, uh, their, their holy scriptures are dictated. Uh, it, the personality is erased. It, it's pure dictation. Uh, that, is not a do- that is not a Catholic uh, Christian doctrine. Uh, our doctrine is uh, the, that is the word of the apostle and the word of God. The humanity, the personal experience, the education, the talent, the voice of the apostle, all that enables a writer to write was used by God to render our inspired text to the church. Again, it's an example that grace doesn't destroy nature, but grace perfects nature. Yeah. Now I want to say something about uh, what came after uh, the New Testament after these letters were written. All of these letters were sent all over the place. I mean, there were much, a lot more than what we have in the Bible. Many, many texts. Uh, later on, the church assembled uh, the New Testament. Uh, they, the church brought all of these texts together, and that was a long process of discrimination by which some texts were determined to be truly Scripture, while other texts were determined to be useful but not Scripture. Uh, There happens to be no text, as you well know, in the New Testament that gives us a list of the books of the New Testament, right? I mean, unless you want to count the index at the front, or the content at the front, and the content isn't inspired, that, in that sense, it isn't. Um, so a final authority outside of Scripture, outside of Scripture, was necessary to determine which books really are Scripture, and that authority was a church in council, guided by the Holy Spirit, or in another way that we could say it is holy tradition. But holy tradition is not an accident. Holy tradition came up in a very organized uh, Well, in an organized way. Uh, Furthermore, are you with me? Do you you understand what I'm saying? That we've got all these books, hundreds, I mean, books floating around, and some people arguing that they're scriptures, and others say, no, they're not, this is, that isn't. The church has to make a decision, has to decide. So the church in council makes makes this decision. What we believe... Uh, uh, but not, not only does holy tradition tell us which books are in the Bible, uh, but we believe holy tradition, as in the seven ecumenical councils, dogmatic definitions are absolutely authoritative and accurately state the truths of revelation that are in the Bible. The point is that the scriptures do not provide their own interpretation. And a final authority outside of scripture is necessary as the foundation of ultimate truth as well as the witness and guardian of the scripture even in her solid years the church assembled this library for her children and she rightly interpreted it for our uh, well-being and we can still go back to those interpretations specifically seven ecumenical councils the ones i mentioned the new testament is meant for the church 
and the church is committed to the New Testament because of its apostolic origins. And because of its apostolic origin, the New Testament is authoritative to all of us, uh, Jesus' disciples, uh, ancient and modern. One last word, and then I'm, I'm done. Finally, the New Testament, uh, of its own voice, from its own standpoint, does not claim to be new. Not entirely. Not in the sense of being dropped down from heaven without any connection to what God had already been doing in the past. The New Testament, interestingly, pro, uh, 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 possesses a profound sense of what you might call historical consciousness from the beginning. I mean, the very first verse of the New Testament says, the book of genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. This identity of Jesus Christ with Israel then unfolds throughout the New Testament and his mission is shown to reach all the way back to Adam. He is the son of David, the son of Abraham, the last Adam, the son of Mary, and truly the son of God. We'll stop there. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost.